0: Welcome to Osteocast, where we talk all things osteopathy, functional anatomy, and movement. With your hosts, myself, Colby Brockel,
1: Amanda Boisen, and Sarah Pucal.
0: Welcome back to another episode of Osteocast uh, with your hosts, Sarah Amanda and myself, Colby.
1: Hello, hello, welcome back. Hi there.
0: So today we are continuing the headache and migraine series. I know uh, last episode we talked a little bit about the differentiating factors between the two of them and how they may manifest themselves. Uh, In today's episode, we are going to talk about some of the anatomy and physiology related to um, headaches and migraines. Um, Essentially with them, there's not a lot of differentiating factors on the anatomy and physiology side, but talking about some of the blood flow and the nerves and other things associated with headaches and migraines, just to kind of give some people some information on some of the things that can be affected by it and some of the things that can affect or cause headaches or migraines so um, to get it started here I'll ask you guys the question I think what we'll do is we'll kind of work through uh, the pieces of the puzzle so the first thing let's talk about the structure a little bit so we'll talk about fascia muscles bones that kind of thing and then we'll get into the nerve artery vein lymphatic if that's okay with you
2: sounds like a plan
0: Cool. So structurally, what are some of the things when you guys are looking at headaches or migraines? Where How far down do you go or where do you start at as far as the structural components of it?
1: That's a complicated question. Are we talking about making sure the pelvis is leveled, releasing the diaphragm, thinking about pressure? And then if we're talking specifically about where does the neck start, we want to talk about the upper dorsals and then work our way up there into the STA, so the superior thoracic aperture. We have our uh, bony attachments and, of course, the musculoskeletal structures that incorporate that STA and attach into the neck to create that, um, basically, that horizontal diaphragm connecting the head to the body.
0: Yeah, I think that's perfect to get started off, Sarah. I think that as always, we'll always mention this as we talk about something specific like headache, headaches and migraines. When it comes to osteopathic care, as Sarah's saying, you're going to look at the entire body as always with osteopathy. Make sure that the body's functioning as well as it can and looking at the body as a whole or dynamic unit. But starting off at the STA essentially or the base of the neck into the dorsals. Um, Sarah, what structures would that include when you say STA or superior thoracic aperture? What What is that? Give us a picture of that for the listeners.
1: Yeah, definitely. So we want to include the clavicle, the f- first ribs, so rib one, rib two. Uh, we want to think about the first vertebrae or, of course, where the ribs are going to attach, upper thoracics. That would be our bony attachments in the uh, where the clavicles attach on the manubrium of the sternum or breastbone. Sweet. And then if we want to think about MSK, so, of course, we have our big SCM muscle, which uh, I would say is a pretty big one that most people know uh, as clients, anyone who doesn't really know much anatomy, right? They know there's that big muscle in the neck that attaches just at the back of the head behind the ear and comes all the way down onto the breastbone, that manubrium area.
0: Right on. Cool. Um, so, to so starting off that, that's basically that... Um, STA area is where the majority of blood flow and lymphatic drainage is going to come to and from the head, right? So that's the main component with that as far as the structural components. Is that that the connection there?
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah, structural components, what we're thinking from a structural perspective anatomically and then getting into that MSK. Uh, I don't know how deep we want to get into the muscles, if we want to do a quick review of all of them.
0: No, I don't think we need to review. I think we'll just kind of talk about some of the main connections.
1: Yeah, perfect. The main flow of it.
2: So when we talk about drainage specifically um, in terms of blood flow or lymphatic drainage, the clavicles are a huge piece in that because the lymphatic duct and the thoracic duct come right underneath both of those clavicles. So when we talk about that STA moving or that head position, changing either pressure on the anterior surface of the clavicles, whether that's like a rounded shoulder posture or a forward head posture can really change um, the pressure on the structures, but also if it's short at the front can create um, basically a lack of or a, a plug in the drain. So um, opening those up and getting those to move can really help kind of like pull that plug out of the drain and allow things to, to move a little bit better in terms of fluid flow.
0: Yeah, so another way that I describe it often to to patients and whatnot is it's almost like a kink in the hose in the area, right? So between the clavicle and those first couple ribs is where those, well, I guess the thoracic duct lymphatic duct go inside to the ribs and then you have the blood flow coming up. But between the the clavicle and those first couple ribs, and then of course on the backs, like the backside of those, those first couple of ribs is that little hole where all that stuff has to pass. And if there's any sort of a structural issue, changing the position of the clavicle or the ribs, which could come from anywhere in the body, uh, that's going to cause some limitation in drainage and or supply to and from the head, which changes pressures. And then of course can change things like the um, headaches or migraines, but can change the pressures or the buildup of waste products or the lack of oxygen or nutrients to the brain, et cetera.
2: When when you think about not only the STA and how it's how the supply basically all the fluid comes from there has to be drained from there, where your frame and magnum is, which is where your head sits on your spine, that needs to line up with your STA well. So when we when you think about a typical position of forward head posture, it's almost like taking that hose that's there between the frame and magnum and the S- STA. And kinking that if your head is forward or tipped or tilted, which, like you said, can come from anywhere in the body. When you explain it that way to patients, I find a lot of the time they're like, it's like a light bulb, right? They're like, oh.
0: Yeah, there's essentially two uh, supplies to the the head or to the brain. And one is going to come through the carotid artery, which comes up through the sides and passes through the base of the skull on its own. And then the other is going to be the vertebral arteries which pass actually inside little canals, we'll call them in the transverse processes or transverse masses of the cervical vertebra. And that passes through the frame and magnum. So if either of those, uh, it, either of those arteries have any sort of extra pressure or they're twisted or turned or being pulled on just as Amanda's talking about with changes in head position or head posture, then that's going to create or can create some issues upstream into as far as headaches and migraines go.
2: Yeah. Cause I mean, in a very generally speaking term, it's a change in that pressure system, right? Um, Absolutely. And we're just talking about the fluid flow there, but all the veins run almost in the exact same locations that you just described, the arteries running just beside it, right? Either Uh generally speaking, they're a little bit more superficial. So a lot of the drainage from the head comes from the front, goes towards the back and then drains down um, through the the jugular and the vertebral again which is just almost in the same spot and in order for that one of the osteopathic principles is that drainage always precedes supply so you're you're needing to make sure that drainage is an option because otherwise more fluid can't go that way if there's a backup
0: absolutely in pressure. Absolutely. And one thing I just want to mention as we talk about pressure just just briefly is um, headache or migraine style symptoms uh, can come on with any sort of change in pressure. And that pressure change can be increased or decreased. So people always assume that it's an increased change in pressure, but it doesn't have to always be increased. It can just be a swing in pressure that creates a little bit of a different environment for the brain and for the subsequent tissues that may give you that sensation of a headache. So it can be because there's too much supply and not enough drainage, or there's more drainage than there is supply one way or the other.
2: And when you talk about pressure, it might not necessarily be right through the head, right? There's essentially five, depending on who you talk to, five diaphragms in the body, maybe seven different people will say different things depending on how you're looking at it, but... The horizontal tissues that run across the body that create those diaphragms, or your pelvic diaphragm, your respiratory diaphragm, your STA, your oral diaphragm, and then your sinuses within your within the the brain or the head itself. So, yeah. for that pressure system to not be out of out of whack, or it, like all of those spots need to be moving well to maintain proper pressure and fluid
0: flow. For sure, yeah.
1: And that's why we always consider the body, right? Like a neck is never a neck or
0: Absolutely. when you come in
1: with any type of head issue, we're never just going to look at the head because it just doesn't make sense from a pressure system. So that was really well explained, Mandy.
0: Yeah. And I know that I'm uh, jumping all over the place because I'm excited. Um, but the other thing that we are that we haven't <laughs> talked about with this is the strutospinal fluid and its effect on the pressure in the brain as well. We won't get into that a lot, but essentially there's a, a fluid that surrounds the spinal cord as well as the brain. And essentially the brain kind of is suspended in that fluid so that it has a little bit of a buffering system inside of the skull. Uh, and that can change too with pressures, whether there's uh, too much or too little or not enough flow in cerebrospinal fluid in those uh, ventricles and in that space as well. So that's another thing when you talk about the fluid mechanics anyways to consider. But just as I'm, just as Mandy just explained, that same principle goes through the whole process in terms of diaphragms working in fluid movement capacities so that if you don't look at the entire body from head to toe, then it's not going to function.
2: Well, and when you think about that specific, um, like cerebrospinal fluid, it, it's inside of that neural tube, which is inside of the spinal canal, but then there's a drainage plexus that has to work well for that to work well. And that is attached at every level of the spine. So right from, you know, the framer magnum C1 all the way down to the sacrum. So you really can't look at it as an individual. Oh, I just have a headache or I just have a symptom. We have to look everywhere to see what's not moving because it can really be affecting. When we say it can be coming from anywhere, we're not joking. Like that's, I mean, we'll talk about that maybe in our case studies next week, but that's that's a huge part of making sure we take care of the problem and then make sure it doesn't come back.
1: To figure out where the problem is, just as you mentioned, is we have to looking through the whole body, what is moving the least? Where's a restriction? Specifically starting with those diaphragms, those horizontal diaphragms, are they moving? And if they're not moving, how can we get movement there? And that's when we start to look at the body in different layers. So the fascia layer, the muscular layer, the bony layer. Um, And even following that nerve and artery pathway and drainage, right? Is there anything in that vicinity that needs to move better? If there's good movement, great. That's not where our problem is. Let's work up or down the chain to figure out where that backup of pressure is happening. Because I do think people kind of wonder, how do you figure out where the problem is, right? Like you understand there's a problem, but how do we figure out where it is? So that's kind of how we problem solve on the table.
2: Well, one thing we haven't touched on, we've talked about the blood flow and the lymphatic drainage, um, some of the structural components, um, but let's talk about the nerves and how they affect the head or um, headaches or migraines or some symptoms you might feel because where, where we start looking or the structural side of things really plays into where these nerves come from and where the control comes from.
0: Yeah. Well, when we talk about the neurology, like all of these pieces of the puzzle work together, you're not going to have a nerve that just for some reason starts shooting off and starts causing a headache, but the neurology and the blood flow and the lymphatic drainage and everything else is all tied in together with one another. And if there's some level of irritation in the neurology, that may cause a change in uh, metabolic component. So it may, may cause a change in the extracellular fluid in the area that could irritate the nerves further, and it could cause muscular contractions, which will change the structure and therefore also change the limitations on... On fluid movement, so when you're looking at the neurology, like that's the main component for me that I'm looking at is how is that whole piece tied together, um, and then obviously you can be quite specific based on the muscular tissue if you're seeing, you know, hypertonicity or some some high level of tension coming through, say the sternocleidomastoid, as Sarah was talking about earlier and that's pulling the neck into a certain position, then you can go look at the neurology that controls that directly and where that comes to and from and see if that's something that can be dealt with right there. Right.
2: Well, there's just different ways you can trick the neurology to then respond the way you want it to as an under, if you understand how it works and where it comes from, is it, is it sympathetically driven or is it parasympathetic? And then how can, um, how can we affect those specific areas to turn on or shut off or, or, you know, make something become more prominent.
1: So Amanda, when you say sympathetic and parasympathetic, just to make this clear, are you referring to uh, a tissue that's maybe hypertonic versus a tissue that's not responding at all?
2: Well, it depends what tissues we're looking at specifically and how they respond because whether it could present differently in different parts. But yes, essentially, um, so when we think about um, that fight or flight response, um, which is your sympathetic system, that's your like run from a bear response, right? So that's like all that, like more longer muscles, um, not related to digestion that we're talking about. Um, whereas parasympathetically, it's generally speaking, everybody's heard of your vagus nerve, which is let's upregulate or stimulate. I feel like this is the new, the new it thing. Um, Yeah, it's to regulate or figure out how to make your vagus nerve work better so we can come out of that sympathetic state. But um, when we're looking at it, we're looking at it more from a whole body perspective and how we can make sure that those things are working in conjunction with one another at a regulated sense instead of one being very upregulated and the other being downregulated, if that makes sense. It's more balance.
0: Yes, definitely. I think this is a segue into the physiology component of it, right? So when we speak about the autonomic nervous system or or parasympathetic versus sympathetic, one of the main things, as Amanda just said, is there's kind of that fight or flight, which is the sympathetic side or parasympathetic, but you hear about upregulation or downregulation. But one thing that's often left out is that there is no, like they don't work independently of one another, they work together. So there is no full differentiation. It's, It's on a sliding scale of balance between the two. And you could have heightened parasympathetics, but that could be perceived whether it's higher parasympathetic or lower sympathetic, if that makes sense on the chart. So there's a sliding scale that comes with that. But what happens in that scenario in the autonomic nervous system is that there'll be a difference in control. And as Amanda was saying, the sympathetic side generally leads to more of a somatic or motor response, meaning more blood flow to the muscular tissues. Um, You also see a sympathetic response. You'll notice that oftentimes the shoulders will raise up um, or into like a defensive or fighting position just because that's how our body perceives it to try and protect itself a little bit where this parasympathetic component is definitely more of a rested or relaxed style state. But when we talk about the the physiology of it, um, one thing with the sympathetic nervous system is you're going to see increase in blood pressure, increase in heart rate, trying to pump more blood, which could cause headaches. And then the other side is if there's a decrease in sympathetic or increase in parasympathetic side, it could decrease blood flow, which again could cause headaches because as we talked before, the pressure changes either way can create that. So it can go one way or the other. And then the tricky part as a practitioner, and we can talk about this more in the case studies next week, is trying to differentiate which way the problem's going or if you need to differentiate that at all and then treat the body so that its tone or its levels are more balanced, right?
2: Very well put. Yeah, And I think oftentimes when you're talking to clients about this, it's so much more complex than what they're they want to understand. And there's that's why there's sometimes a series of treatments that has to happen because your job Absolutely. is about trying to find that balance in in the parasympathetic and sympathetic systems before you can actually make any changes. It's about regulating the system or allowing the system to regulate itself prior to trying to make any lasting changes.
0: Totally. And to comment on that, As a practitioner in treatment, your sole focus is not to get those to balance, but it's working through the body as a whole to get the body's tissues and structures and everything else to a better position so that it balances itself. It's not like there's a specific treatment to to do so. Um, Another thing as we're talking about physiology that I'd like to mention when we're here um, is everyone's had a headache from, well, maybe not everybody, but most people, um, from having a couple too many drinks or... You know, maybe <laughs> maybe missing their morning coffee or not eating all day. So I just kind of wanted to jump on that and see what your guys' thoughts are around the physiology related to some of that stuff. Obviously, it's all the same because it's all one body, but just kind of curious on your thoughts on on why someone might have a headache uh, after drinking too much, like the day of the day after.
2: Well, it it changes the way that you're utilizing energy within your body because we don't generally digest alcohol well so we try and use it up as an energy source first and so you're asking your body to utilize its energy capacity in a different manner and that also creates dehydration
1: yeah so mandy you're saying that the an alcoholic headache or you know from the night before is due to dehydration
2: it definitely can be it can uh, depends on how you drink or what you drink, I should say, because oftentimes too, alcohol is mixed with a lot of sugar. And so our our job is our, the way I understand it anyways, and correct me if I'm wrong, if you understand this a little bit better than me, is that we utilize the alcohol first because we don't know how to use it. So we try and burn it. And then there's like this sugar dehydration. So there's actually like a physiological change in, our high and low pressure systems because of the like components that are left.
0: I certainly don't know enough about it to speak to that. Um, But one thing for sure that alcohol does is it is a little bit of a downer. It slows the system down a little bit, which can be part of it. But the other thing too, is just that it changes the metabolic component of the system, whether it's, more sugar, whether it's the alcohol itself, whether it's dehydration, whether it's because it also often gets coupled with eating either too much or junk food, all these other things that come with it. But I think the important thing to take note of when we talk about that particular kind of headache or how it comes in is that there's a change in the nutrient profile and hydration level of the body. So there may be less water in the system, there may be more waste product, there may be a change in acidity or alkalinity in the system. There may be an increase or decrease in different variations of um, macronutrients or or your foods, your nutrients for the body. And just as we talk about the blood flow to and from the head or or the waste products coming out in the lymphatics is that if the blood doesn't have proper oxygenation or proper nutrients in it, then of course, it doesn't matter how much gets pumped to the brain or to the head, there's going to be a sense for lack of oxygen or lack of nutrient, which again can give you that sensation of headache because you're not getting that, what you need. Right.
2: Well, and the blood supply supplies, the nerves that then go in fire to trigger everything else, of course. Yeah. So there's like that reciprocal,
0: um, it's always circle event, right? Yeah. It's always tied together
2: in that specific example as well. It, it really does depend on how you start or where your baseline is before that happens. Right.
0: Mm -hmm. Because everything
2: can change based on if your baseline is different.
0: Well, I think the same principles go towards like if you haven't had your morning coffee and you get a headache, it's the same idea where it's a change in the the metabolic balance of the body where with caffeine, it's a little bit different because instead of getting that increase in heart rate and blood pressure and whatnot, you're not getting that. So it changes the supply to the brain. But the point being that you're either with the pressure-based headaches as we talk about it, it's either too much or too little supply and then obviously the content of what's being supplied in, in terms of the quality of the blood and then you have the tension yeah. side of headaches where we talked a little bit about with the structures where you have a change in, in tension or pull on the head from different muscular components and then however or why ever those muscles are pulling is a whole other conversation but i think the physiology yeah. part really comes to obviously supply and drainage of it but then the quality of what's being supplied
2: And all of that coming from your gut, right? Like you're picking up that nutrients, the nutrient content from your, from your digestive tract. So then when we talk about that pressure side of things or the quality or the metabolic side of the blood, then, then you have to think about what's going on in those areas from a structural component as well, which goes into a whole nother deep dive of down the rabbit hole.
1: For sure. So how well is your digestion working?
0: Well, and and also your breathing, right? I mean, this isn't a case study conversation, so we'll not get into it Mm -hmm. too heavy, Um, but I've definitely had patients where they have chronic headaches and it's because their ribs aren't moving well and it's a combination of an increase in sympathetic parasympathetic tone, but also a lack of proper rib motion, which is limiting full inhale and exhales for breathing, which in turn limits the uh, percentages of oxygen, which in turn causes headaches or migraines or can stimulate that.
2: Yeah. it's a fascinating conversation.
1: Very. And if you can explain what Colby just said to your client and they understand why they need to spend the time to practice breathing deep and changing how they send their breath through their body, that's so empowering for the client. And not to mention they're going to affect their body in a positive way going forwards and not have as many headaches, migraines, and really see an improvement in even tissue texture. So how well the body is taking on nutrients and blood.
0: For sure. So it's all very cool. Well, there is definitely some things that people can do on a regular basis to keep their body healthier than it may be now and learning how to breathe properly is one of them. And then oftentimes in that process, it's not necessarily of not knowing how to do that properly, but it's that there's limitations in the structure and the movement of the body that's not allowing them to. So between treatment and then some some purposeful training with it can definitely go a long way.
2: Well, it just makes me think too, as we're having this conversation, just how important it is to to treat through principles and not your cookie cutter approach.
0: Oh my lanta! It's, it's
2: times like these when there's just so many different things going on that you you will get lost or you won't get answers or you won't get results. And then it's frustrating because you don't have a way
1: back. For sure. You can't chase the pain, right? You can't chase the headache. You're not going to get anywhere.
0: No, no. Well, this is kind of like a little bit of a deep dive into what goes through a mind of a practitioner when they're looking at something like a headache, like this kind of series of a couple podcasts give give everyone an idea of what goes into your mind when you read that that's one of the symptoms or when you hear that's one of the symptoms they're having. It's like, okay, what are the nine million seven hundred eighty six things that uh, can be involved yeah. in this? So I think it's a good thing to touch on that. And and I kind of like that the new structure with how we're going through this to kind of chat about more so specific kind of things, uh, whether that's symptoms or presentations so that our listeners, practitioners, and patients can get a better understanding as to what we're looking at.
2: Yeah, definitely loving more of this like in-depth conversation where we can learn a little bit more too and hopefully you can learn a little bit more and then create some feedback in terms of asking questions so that we can then answer those and and
0: turn that around. For sure. So if any of you guys listening have questions about this or something to add, like if we're factually wrong or we're incorrect, like shoot it over to us on uh, Instagram, it's at osteocast underscore or on Facebook and uh, let us know what you think so that we can either answer them or us as practitioners, we can learn because that's part of this whole uh, whole process as well.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. We
1: definitely want to learn with you. Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, follow us on Instagram at Osteocast underscore and on Facebook at Osteocast. And please give us a five-star review and let us know uh, what you think about the podcast.
0: Cool. Thanks, guys.
2: Awesome. Have a great day.